Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture name for a lesson this morning will come from 1 Timothy 3, 8-13. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Please be seated. And now would you open God's book, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin our reading in a few minutes in verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. It's wonderful to see all of you here. And uh, Paul was right. Now that I stand here, I realize that we do have a lot of visitors. And I want you to know that you're at a place where you will always be welcomed. Bill and Lori Boyd are here. And the Boyds are dear friends of ours. Brother Boyd is a great gospel preacher, and he's the son of a great gospel preacher. And any time we can be around the Boyds, we like that, and we're glad to have them this morning. I came to talk today about deacons. I didn't come to talk about necessarily our deacons in particular, although I would like to point out that, that we are so very blessed in this church to have such dedicated deacons. If I use the term deacon, what would you say would be a synonym of deacon? What comes to your mind when I say deacon? I brought, uh, we have 18 deacons in this church. I want to to read these names to you. And the the wonderful thing about this is that so much of what they do is behind the scenes and you don't don't really see it. It's it's just pretty wonderful. This church functions so very well and these men all have specific responsibilities and all of these men practice excellence. Mark Aders, Keith Anderson, who led our singing this morning, Mark Bailey, Louis Bateo, Jason Clark, Tom Collier, Mark Holder, Chris Meacham, Brad Mitchell, Rodney Ratledge, Brandon Rhodes, Josh Sells, B.C. Smith, Derek Smith, Jason Smith, Randy Stillman, Marlon Thompson, Jack Van Hook. I know all these men well, and I am just so thankful for them. Can you just imagine what the elders' work would be like without deacons? It is so wonderful that they get to do what they do in this church. But that's not all only about elders. It's wonderful for preachers, too. It's so wonderful that we have these kinds of men who do their work in all these different areas so that so that I can, can study and preach, and we're just very thankful for them. I came to talk about deacons today. Now, let me whet your appetite just a little bit. When you want to define what a deacon is, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26, Jesus said, whoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. Brace yourself. The word for servant there is deacon. 
How do you like that? Would it be great? Now, well, what does, what does that say? Well, perhaps you would have said a while ago when I said, well, there's a synonym for deacon. Maybe you would have said a deacon is a servant. Yeah, that's true. That's true. One of the things in preparing this sermon that occurred to me is that I, I don't think I've done a great job in my preaching life encouraging boys to be deacons. I've done quite a lot encouraging boys to become elders. I even wrote a book about it, encouraging them to develop the qualities young so that when the time came that the church needed more elders, they could look to these younger men who have come up and and they could say, we need you to be an elder in the church. And I've encouraged young men to be preachers, to grow in their knowledge of Scripture, to be good Bible students and become gospel preachers. I doubt that I've done as good a job encouraging our boys to be deacons. That was a mistake. I'm going to do better about that. So, so young men, gentlemen, it is a great goal that you will grow up and one day be the kind of man that the church could select as a deacon in the church. It'll be because you developed qualities. It won't just be because they needed somebody with a strong back and strong arms. It'll be because of your qualities. So develop those qualities and set that as a great goal. Now, here's where I want to go in the sermon. There are some things that I think we've done a good job, typically in gospel preaching, about describing some realities about deacons. But then there are a couple of things I think that we haven't done so well at, and I'm going to talk about those. So there's the outline of the sermon. Let me give you four things that I think we've done a pretty good job in in communicating and teaching about deacons. And the first one is this one, that there is a generic sense in which the word is used in the Scripture, the New Testament, and there's an official sense. Now, it's very interesting to me that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm, I'm there in my Bible now, when you get to verse 8 and you have the qualifications of deacons, that the King James translation used the word in verse 10, the office of a deacon. Later translations, including the one, the new King James that I'm holding right now, omitted the word. Well, it wasn't really a wrong thing to omit the word because it was supplied by the translators, the office of a deacon. But the New Testament doesn't actually use the term office of a deacon. So why did the King James translators do that? Well, that's just very interesting. It's because the word deacon means, in it's just its generic sense, servant. It's about diakonos is the Greek word, and it's in the New Testament a little over 30 times. And most of the time, it's translated minister or servant. Only rarely is it translated deacon. Now, deacon is not actually a translation. It's a transliteration. That is to say, it's just to say diakonos, the Greek word, and make it sound, well, English. Deacon. So why did we do that? And why did the King James translators use the term office of a deacon? And the answer is because while all Christians are servants, in 1 Timothy 3, and I would say in Philippians chapter 1, in Philippians chapter 1, you have bishops and deacons, and, and, you know, and you say, well, that's kind of set apart, right? They're set apart. There are special servants that we would normally call deacons. They're servants, but, but they're special. Now, why are they special? Well, because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, you have the qualifications of deacons. Not just anybody can be a deacon in the church. Everybody is a servant. Everybody finds in the church this word 
diakonos or in its verb form applies to you and it applies to me. I mean, you could, I suppose you could legitimately say, all of us are deacons, but don't say that because it's confusing. <laughs> That'd be very confusing. All right. Diakonos. Diakonos means servant. But in First Timothy chapter 3, you have qualifications that distinguish a man as a servant. So here's the first thing I think we've done pretty well at. Let me, let me read the qualifications, and then we'll go to the second thing here. I'm in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8. Likewise, the deacons, diakonos, must be reverent. Must be reverent. Not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved and let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. But those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, before I leave this point, I want to show you something I think is interesting about this official and unofficial use of the word. The NIV played a little trick on people. Now look at this next slide. So in Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, you have Phoebe described with this word. And sometimes people today really kind of feministic and what they'd really like is to have women deacons in the church. Can you think right now with me of why that won't work? You cannot have a woman in the special servant deacon diakonos role in the church. You cannot have that and be consistent with the New Testament. Now, you know why? Well, because we just read the qualifications, and a woman can't be the husband of one wife. I mean, you can't do that, and so you can't be in that role, even though the word diakonos is used in, in, uh, with reference to Phoebe. Well, what the, the NIV did in Romans 16.1 was to refer to Phoebe as a deacon. Playing a little trick on you there, just a little trick, but they weren't consistent because the chapter before you have Jesus referred to with the same word. He became a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. Diakonos. It's, it's, he, is, he is the same word, but the, the NIV didn't call him a deacon. They knew that people would probably buck that. So they played a little game. Here's what I want you to know is that we've done a pretty good job, I think, in explaining that there's an official use of the word deacon, and then there's a generic or more typical common use of the word deacon or diakonos. Here's the second thing, and this flows right, it flows right into this, is that a deacon has to be a, a male who is married. Jesus was not married. He's the Son of God, and I do not mean to diminish him in any way, but he wouldn't be a deacon because not in the official sense, because he was not the husband of one wife. And Phoebe certainly wasn't the husband of one wife. So in the official sense, not everybody is a deacon. Now, don't you think that's interesting? We're all servants. We're all ministers in this sense, but we're not all deacons in the official sense. I think we've communicated that pretty good. Now, here's the third thing, is that we have one grand example in the New Testament of the selection of deacons and the work of deacons. And it's in Romans, uh, Acts chapter 6. The problem was, and this incidentally was the second major problem in the church. The first one was Acts chapter 5. You have Ananias and Sapphira. And then you get to chapter 6 and there's this problem that arose over the, the widows who were Hellenists. So remember in Acts 2, all the different peoples that come in, the Jews that come in, 
for Pentecost, well, the church then is established and you have these Hellenist widows and they're not being cared for as the local widows were in the daily ministration. I love that because, I mean, you know what? Christians were taking care of widows. That's just what they did. They ministered to the widows. But there was a grievance here because the Hellenists were being treated differently. Now, I do not know. I don't know why. And I I don't know that it was necessarily because people were against the Jewish, were against the the Hellenist widows. I don't know. It kind of smells like it when you read the passage. Like maybe you have some discrimination going on here. That's how it looks. I would parenthetically note to you that critical race theory wasn't used on this problem. You know, you might think so. And then what we would do is that we would say, well, we've got to fix this by making the Hellenist widows heads over all this program. And so now they're going to control the widow administration. They're going to control all the care of the widows. That's not what happened. The goal in correcting this problem was to fix it so that the Hellenist widows were treated just like the others. Everybody's treated the same with the same kind of kindness and care. And so here's what happened. The apostles said, to the church, call out seven men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit. You, you pick some re- reputable men to be over this. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, Glenn, uh, just, just, just parenthetically here, you need to mention that the word deacon is not used in this passage. They're not called deacons. Well, excuse me, but the word deacon is here. It is here. So what the apostles actually said was, it is not good. It's not appropriate for us to leave the Word of God, the role of the the apostles, to leave the Word of God to serve tables. The word serve, next slide, the word serve is the verb form of deacon, diakonos, and in this case, diakonu, but it is the It is the verb form of the same one. And when you look at Strong's Concordance lexicon of Greek words, look at that last line, use the office of a deacon. I'm telling you that, that what you have described here are the selection of men who have these qualities that look very much like the list over in 1 Timothy 3 that I read to you a while ago. And so there you are. I I would say that that while they... uh, you don't have the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 actually brought in and put here. What you've got there is deacons. You've got special servants who are called out to carry out this job and to make sure that it was done well by men who are trustworthy and everybody considers them to be reputable and full of the Word of God. All right. Now, here's the fourth one. I'm talking about things right now that I think we've done a pretty good job at discussing and teaching through the years. The fourth one is, are you ready? That elders take care of primarily of spiritual needs in the church, and the deacons primarily take care of the physical or material things of the church. There's a seed of truth to that. I mean, you have it, you have it illustrated again in Acts chapter 6 because the elders said it's not appropriate, not desirable, that we should leave the Word of God to serve tables. The apostles didn't dislike widows, The apostles loved the widows, and the apostles weren't saying, we're just too good to wait on tables. Now, you know that's not what they were saying. They were saying, we cannot do the work that we have delegated to us as apostles and do that too. We can't do both things. And so, we we need men who will do this. 
But I want to underscore the fact that they didn't just say in the qualifications of these men, you pick out men who have strong arms and strong backs. That's not what they said. You, you pick out men who are reputable. You pick out men who are full of the Holy Spirit. You pick out men who are of good report to do this job. What I want to emphasize in the rest of this sermon, and really to this point, is just to build you up to what I really want to say. This is true, but it misses a bigger point. And that is the spiritual side of being a deacon. That's really what this sermon is about. It's about the spiritual side of being a deacon. So in this sense, I want to come today to encourage all 18 of you and your families, all 18 of you who are deacons, and you do such a terrific work, I want to emphasize the spiritual side. I want to talk to all of you young men who, before long, are going to become deacons in this church. These old guys are going to need replacing before long, and we're going to need you. The spiritual side of a deacon's work. I, I want to say that this is shown in two ways. The first thing I want to do is to show you a quote from Franklin Camp. Can you put that quote up for me? Brother Camp was a, a great, great gospel preacher. He's gone on to his reward. And, and when he decided to, or when he defined the role of a deacon, what a deacon was, this is what Brother Camp said. The hands of the compassionate heart of the church as it extends itself in rendering deeds of mercy and goodwill, as opportunities are presented, a minister of service to someone who has a need. That the deacons in a church are an arm of the church to keep their eyes and hearts open to the needs of people around them and to carry out, to execute the fulfillment of those needs, and if they can't fulfill them, to find the elders and to say, here's a need that, that I think uh, we have, and, and we've got to figure out a way to do this. And with the support of the elders to delegate responsibilities, we get those needs covered. And in so doing, we are glorifying God. Now, I want you to look at a few of the qualifications, and let's be impressed with the fact. Next slide. Let's be impressed with the fact that that this is true, that the, to say about deacons, you know, they handle the physical things, the material things, there's an element of truth to that, but it misses the big point. In fact, the bigger point, and that is the spiritual side of being a deacon. Look at the words. He is reverent. The word reverent here is not reverend. It means, in the Greek, it means grave, it means honorable, it means honest. It is the same Greek word as you find in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 when it says, whatsoever things are true and noble, noble is this. He's a noble man. What do you think that, what would you put to that? What does it mean if a man is a noble man? Listen to me. Our deacons each have an assignment. Each, each have the role that they play. And there's money attached to that. And every year when the budget is made and it's all worked out, there'll be a line item in that budget for that deacon. And he will come to the elders and he'll say, I think that this is how much money I need this year to carry out my work. And they'll just describe that to him. And then he does his thing. The elders don't breathe down his neck. That's his job. He has the money to do it with, to carry it out. It's the money that you've put in the plate and I put in the plate. And then they're going to carry out those duties. 
I want you to appreciate that there's an implied trust in that. There's not a one of our deacons that make me nervous about the church's money. Not one of them. You know why? Because they're, they're reverent. And it means honorable and noble and, and of good report. They're men of integrity. And they cannot be otherwise because they represent the church in this. Look at this next word. He's not just reverent. He's not double-tongued. You know what double-tongued means? It means that you say, you say it, means, it means a woman comes to another woman and, and says, all oh, that dress, that's just the prettiest dress I ever saw. You look wonderful in that dress. Well, thank you. And then they walk up, they part, and then this moment, she goes to another woman and she says, I wish you'd look at what she's wearing. Isn't that the ugliest thing you ever saw? That's double-tongued. That would be double-tongued. It would be a man selling a used car, and he would say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a great car. I've maintained this car. I wouldn't be afraid to drive it to California. He sells, sells the car, and then he walks over to the fence to his neighbor, and he says, wow, I sure hope he makes it home before the transmission goes out again. That's double-tongued. You wouldn't appreciate that. I mean, if you were on the business end of that, but I tell you what, a deacon is somebody, a man who's qualified to be a deacon is not double-tongued. That is to say that you just, you just know that he's not a liar. He doesn't have these ulterior motives going on in his brain all the time to try to try to manipulate people and he's not like that. He, he's he's, he's going to tell you the truth. What about this one? He holds the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. I'm talking about the spiritual side of being a deacon. It's not just about the physical. It, the, the, everything, don't, aren't there other things, lots of things that, that we do and are about in the church that have a physical and at the same time a spiritual aspect? This morning we gave of our means. We gave our money and put it in the plate for the work of the church, and we did it with, with gladness. Question, was that material or was it spiritual? Which? The answer is, there's only one real answer, of course. It's both. It, it's both physical and spiritual. It is, a, it is an act of worship that we carried out this morning and that's how it is with the work of the deacons. Now, look at this. This is a qualification for this man who carries out these physical, material tasks. He holds the mystery of a faith and a pure conscience. It's sometimes called the mystery because there was a long time in history when the New Testament plan, the gospel, was being developed, but before it was finished and complete and presented in Jesus Christ, it's called the mystery of the faith. It's not a mystery now. It's been revealed. But he holds it in a pure conscience. I love that. That's a judgment we have to make in the church when we select our deacons. But it's not hard, is it? You can tell. He holds the truth in a pure conscience. He holds the faith, the practice of true religion. He holds it in a, in a pure conscience. He's, a re, he's the real thing. He's really a Christian. And he loves the church. And he loves the Lord. And he loves God's people. And he holds the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. He's going to carry out material things, physical things, but he's going to do it from the heart of a man who is deeply spiritual. Look at the next one. He's blessed with a wife who's a sincere Christian. You look at these, these qualities of the wives. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. That's a huge statement. That doesn't mean that she's perfect. Nobody's perfect, but I tell you what, we can be faithful in all things. She is. And so let, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Now, I said when I began this point that there are two, 
two areas that really emphasize the spiritual aspect of being a deacon. Now, the first one is this, is the qualifications are inherently spiritual. They're deeply spiritual. The second one is what I want to talk about now, and that is this. Let's walk through, I don't know, five or so verses which use the word diakonos or the verb form of it, this word for deacon. I want to show you five examples where it was used in order to get us a a better feeling, a more focused understanding of what is meant by the word deacon. Okay, let's go together. I would, I would say that this is preferenced by the Old Testament. The Old Testament and the New are not so very different about benevolence. You know, in the Old Testament, if you have a field, don't you be, don't you be uh, harvesting all of it. You leave the corners. You leave some spots so that the poor can come in and they can reap from that. What's that? It's benevolence boy, and you have Exodus chapter 22 and verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. Any, any ambiguity about that? I'm telling you, he's serious about this. God, I don't know another verse that says just like that, what that says in reference to prayer. If they cry to me, I will hear them. That's a warning to all of us. And you get to James chapter 1 and verse 27, and, and you want to talk about pure religion today for you and me? Pure religion is to care for the fatherless and widows in their affliction. It's about being serious about but you want benevolence. It's about what distinguishes Christians in a huge way from the church, in a way that people can understand. Oh, many years ago, a few decades ago, there was a, a campaign in Gadsden, Alabama, and they, they took out some newspaper, big news, they spent some money, took some newspaper ads. And in a big way, it was called the We Care campaign. I mentioned Brother Camp a while ago. Somebody asked Brother Camp what he thought about the We Care campaign. And he said, if we have to advertise in the newspaper that we care, then we have failed. All right, walk through these verses with me. Here are cases where the word diakonos, or the, or the verb form of it, is used. And, and the first one is 2 Timothy 1, verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus, I'm sorry, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. So Paul's in prison. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought they out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Now, how do you suppose a man would help the Apostle Paul even when he was in prison? He ministered to me. What does that mean? What would that, what would that look like to minister to the Apostle Paul? What, what kinds of things? You say, well, that's spiritual uh, yeah, and, and physical, right. And what kinds of things do you think that might have involved in caring for the Apostle Paul? But that's not the only one. But that's the word, ministered. That's the word. Here's Jesus in Galilee in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. It says, there were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and They ministered to him when he was in Galilee and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, you can read more about that in Luke 8, 
chapter 8, verse 2, Luke 8, verse 2. I'm telling you that what these women did for our Lord was to serve him. They ministered him. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the word for deacon. Now, they were not deacons in the official sense. They were, they were deacons in the sense, diakonos, in the sense that all of us are. But I want to ask you a question. I mean, if, if this is applicable to all of us, like these women, how much more must it be applicable to those men who wear the name deacon, who wear the, the name deacon? They're official deacons in the church who represent the church in reference to these kinds of things. They minister in the ways that have been prescribed by the shepherds. What, is it, what do you picture in your mind? Now, they weren't official. It was the same way that Phoebe is a servant in the church, no official capacity. And Christian women today are rendering a service. Maybe they prepared food for our Lord. Maybe they cared for his clothing. Maybe they made sure his bed was made in the mornings. That's what it really means to be a deacon. Here's Philippians 1 verse 12. I'm sorry, Philemon 1 verse 12. I'm sending him back. You remember Paul is sending a letter to Philemon by the hand of the servant Onesimus. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. What do you suppose? He, what, what's Paul saying here? I want Onesimus. I really could use Onesimus to minister to me in my chains. What does that look like? What do you think that would involve to minister to a great man like Paul when he's in prison and he suffers the things of prison? What would that look like? You want, you want to know a word that you put to that? It's deacon. Here's one, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11. You remember this, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, he had been hungry, he had fasted 40 days. Matthew 4, 11, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. <laughs> deacon. They ministered, they ministered to Jesus. Same word. They're engaged in deacon's work. I, I don't know all that was involved in that. I just know that that they did that for my Lord. Now, here's one more. It's Matthew chapter 25 and verse 44. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? You, you remember that this is the judgment day scene. And you remember that there are some who will be turned away at that time. And they're going to argue with the Lord about this. This is the judgment bar of Christ. And the argument will be, now, wait a minute. We, we didn't see you hungry or in prison or, or thirst or sick. And we didn't see it all. And, and the response will be, when you didn't do it or you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Listen to me. This is, this is what we're about. This is what we are about. And deacons in the church play a ter- terrific role as the eyes and the ears and the heart of the church Oh, they know that their service like the rest of us, but, but they're in the official role. And what that means is that they're watching and looking for needs that need to be filled. If every Christian is to be a minister, a servant, how much more important that men who are selected and qualified to fulfill that work? All right, let me give you one more verse, and then I'm going to wrap this up. What's the purpose of all this? Anyway, it's 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Listen closely. 
as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Yeah, that's it. That's the word. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. That's it. That's it. What it is, is that we're all about glorifying our God. And we, one of the ways we do that, a chief way we do that, is by caring about other people and caring about folks in this congregation and, and fulfilling those needs. And the deacon is an official servant, minister, diakonos. And may I just say again that in this church we are so thankful for the great men who are our deacons. As, as I read the list a while ago, did you have a, a little hard time thinking, I don't remember seeing him doing the work that he does. I don't, and that's because so much of it is done behind the scenes. And today, we, we, this is just a great illustration of this. We are worshiping today, and, and uh, you don't have any trouble hearing me? We have deacons taking care of my needs about amplification. You don't have any trouble. You don't even think about it. We, we, have, we have a comfortable atmosphere in which to offer our worship to God so that we can really focus ourselves on what we're doing. We have so many things going on to care for our people and to care for others. And, and so often, the one who is directly behind that action, you look at it, you dig back, and what you'll find is a deacon, one of our deacons. Thank you for what you do. I wonder if someone here is here this morning and not a Christian. You know, you ought to be a part of the body of Christ. The greatest institution in all the world is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way a person gains admittance to that is by faith in Jesus. And we repent of our sins and we confess him. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and we're baptized. The Bible says into Christ and into his death, Romans 6. And when we're baptized, Acts 2 says he adds us to his church. Would you like to become a member of the body of Christ? to be part of his family, you can do that. We'll be so happy to assist you and immerse you today. And if you need the prayers of the Christians, we're here for you, and we'll be happy to do that for you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.